0: Welcome back to Recurrent Events, Episode 4. I have with me my esteemed colleague, as usual, Mr. Wesley Shantz, and with us special guest, Mr. David Oldham. Uh, Welcome. Hello. And so. Yeah, how's it going, Oldham? And uh, well, before I even ask that, let let me let me lay down who David Oldham is. So he's our friend from graduate school. He has the same master's degree from St. John's as uh, both Wes and I do. But he also has a couple additional degrees too. Uh, while having studied classics at Xavier University in Ohio, Cincinnati, where I think he was recently for a wedding, um, Oldham then pursued yep. his masters in liberal arts at St. John's, then another master's in education at Lipscomb University in. Nashville, Tennessee, and then uh, uh, you recently got your juris doctor, your your law degree from. Well,
1: and I think Nashville. my audio's cut out.
0: Nashville School of Law. Yeah, and um, and then you just passed the bar as well, right?
1: Yes, fortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember being there over the summer and you being sweating it some, but I think it's the sort of test that probably it's best to sweat, from what I hear, but. During
1: if, all this if you're time, if not sweating, you're. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely one of the ones. If you're if you're not worried about it, then you're in trouble.
0: But you know, I think the most interesting thing about this, uh, Mister Oldham uh, Esquire, is that um, <laughs> or Sir Oldham, I guess you are now. You really earned the title. Is uh, that you've been working the whole time? You've been a teacher the entire time. You've been doing all of your graduate work. Isn't that so? You've uh, during your bachelor's, yeah. Johns education, and. So I know that we wanted to ask you a little bit about your current teaching situation, but I I guess I'm going to ask ask you, what's that been like, you know, teaching work the whole time that you were pursuing higher education and, you know, why were you pursuing higher education if you already had a teaching job and you know, what, what led you to this?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's an excellent question. Um, And it's definitely one that's, uh, sort of like bled into all of my classes over the last, <clears throat> oh gosh, since when did I start at St. John's, 2012? Um, why, you know, why continue with school while I'm still teaching or already teaching and have a job? And I guess, um, it was, well, I guess the, the the nature of it was that it was obviously uh, relatively difficult. Um, the t- just the time, the sheer amount of time getting up at, you know, 30 or so and going to class till 10 o'clock a few days a week and in the workload um, but I I think to be quite honest like um, even though it was uh, difficult it, it benefited me I mean obviously like you both are very familiar with uh, the benefit of um, the nature of st. John's um, I think we're all better teachers because of the experience we had there and because of um, sort of what that ingrained in our nature and I think even though law school at night was very difficult, it was very beneficial as well to feel, you know, what it's like to still be a student, because as I'm teaching Latin or, you know, philosophy or whatever, um, you know, knowing what it's like to be going through the struggle as well, allowed me to connect better with my students.
2: Did they look up to you more when they know that you're also, you know, studying and working hard um, in the same kind of way that they are?
1: Oh, I, I, I definitely would say so. You know, they they, uh, they they appreciated it, I think. They they knew that I wasn't just, you know, standing there and just, just saying things either to get paid or because I'd found my way into the job. Um, they knew that I was, you know, invested in learning because yeah, I told them about my experience in law school and how difficult it was and how difficult I knew Latin was. Um, but, but I knew that both things that what I was studying, what they were studying was beneficial because I'd done the same thing at their age. Right.
0: Well, so that's really interesting mm-hmm. to me because something that's part of this segment in particular and something that's sort of mm-hmm. a perennial discussion between Wes and me is sort of the tension between the pursu- the pursuit of civic virtue for its own sake mm-hmm. And yeah. pursuit of sort of capitalist fortune, and um, <laughs> you know I mean I'm obviously very much on the side of uh, capitalism, uh, but I, I also have a sense of civic virtue, and that's something we've talked about right. some on this show and um, And so that's just very interesting to me that you would actually be practically motivated to pursue additional education at your own expense of time, <laughs> energy, stress. Uh, you know, and, and just money, money being the biggest, yeah. obviously Not um, that right, modified money. Uh, but why would it be so important? Is it, are you actually saying that it was so important to you to have credibility or to be a role model to these kids that you put yourself through additional personal, financial, temporal, uh, you know, stress?
1: Mm. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I think even more so than, then the law degree, I think that goes back to the St. John's. I've, I, I'll never forget being a senior in an undergrad and talking with the professor of philosophy who who'd gone to St. John's, and I was there. I was a you know ma- majoring in Greek, Latin, philosophy, and I talked to him about being interested in the school, and he said, "Well, you got to ask your oneself or yourself one question: um, Do you, do you feel done learning?" And I said, "Well, heck, no." And he said, "Well, then you definitely need to consider going to St. John's." And I think that's, you know, the sort of intention with which we all went to that school and and very much what makes us, whatever we are of good teachers, that it, it takes that sort of inclination, um, if that makes sense.
2: I think I'm following that. Like, what I felt strongly studying things at St. John's was my own ignorance. Like, maybe mm-hmm. for the first time, that really came home to me as I would sit there and open my mouth to say something and realize halfway through what I was saying that I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, really hoped that someone else would be able to pick up the thread and, and maybe point to something in the book that we had all read, you know, which mm. again was like a pretty unique thing about St. John's was like, well, everyone actually read, read the books as, as far as I could tell. So I, I thought that there was an obvious question in, in what was asked too was like, so getting this law degree, did you do that just because you wanted to keep learning stuff or do you want to be a lawyer?
1: Uh, both. I, <laughs> it was my um, first year teaching where I teach now. Um, I've been there. This is my fifth year or sixth year now. And it's a public high school. It's the most diverse uh, high public high school in the state. And it's, it's got its challenges by far. I think it's one of the better public high schools in Metro Nashville. Um, but... It's, uh, it, it was enough of a stress that I realized that it's not the sort of thing that um, would be able to support uh, a long-term life, like having a family, living in the city. And already that's the case. The city, is has grown to such a, a rapid extent that um, you can't be a starting teacher and live here. They've like, even uh, talked about it on the news that if you're a first-time homebuyer in Nashville, you've got to look outside the city and they've not given teacher give, uh, given teachers increased pay uh enough to support living here and i i i could see that coming already even back then and that was a big part of my decision the other was the stressor and the stress of you know randomly having to break up fights or dealing with student disrespect or a lack of um Uh, adequate disciplinary responses from the administration which are not you know super prevalent but it was enough to (laughs) make me think well is this a long-term viable uh, career path or should I look to something that's going to um, challenge me intellectually but also support me financially Um, and um, whereas teaching does certainly challenge me intellectually and fulfill me um, emotionally I think with Everything I um, I I see it as well uh, as um, in the law as being an answer to that that problem.
0: Well, and just to maybe paint a picture of you to the listeners here, and I do hope that many of our friends and the people we know in Tennessee get a chance to hear this and get a chance yeah. to hear one of you know their emerging leading citizens uh, and what he has to say about this sort of thing, but. <laughs> Uh, uh, I think the understanding of the sort of person you are that might lead you to study Latin and the law because of its Latinic mm-hmm. Roman, Roman roots. And mm-hmm. something that per, perhaps you'll you'll think appropriate here is I do know that you are very much catholically uh, uh, educated as well as mm-hmm. you are very much a staunch Catholic. And mm-hmm. that um, you are currently at this moment, are you seated in a place that you call a study, surrounded <laughs> by books with a globe that has a bar inside of it.
1: It most definitely does. It's, it's uh, right here beside my armchair, and uh, all I have to do is open it up. It's got uh, sea monsters on it, and it's um, old wood-looking, and um, yeah, I've got my, everything I need there. <laughs> That's wonderful. Do you have
0: a, a tumbler with some manner of cocktail? Of course.
1: <laughs> Anytime good. I sit in this chair. <laughs> well,
0: you know, maybe if we have you as a recurrent guest, you can tell us what the cocktail of the week is. What is it this time?
1: I like that. It's uh, a bit of a uh, tequila and um, mineral water and lime juice with a couple slices of jalapenos.
0: Okay. That's, that's, that sounds very much wonderful, and if you were my teacher, that would be another thing I'd be impressed by, even if I didn't say <laughs> about you. But um, well, uh, two, two things just get serious really fast. It is unfortunate mm-hmm. that you don't see education as a long-time viable option, even, yes. I would ask, even through the administration role, and if not through administration, why not? And then two, I wanted to mention to the listeners that you are at a charter school. That's correct, right?
1: Uh, I'm at a regular public high school.
0: Okay, so it's not a charter school. Okay, correct. Was it at some point yeah. a charter school?
1: Uh, <clears throat> no, it's it's just a super um, diverse public high school. It's, okay. Um, okay, it's a yeah.
0: Well, that actually that I think helps then because then you could not actually go in the district to a higher paying job as a teacher like a charter school teacher could. But uh, yeah, the, sec- the second thing I I think is just sort of sad is that. Uh, you not sad so much as it it says something about if one wants to grow as an educator, how one has to grow beyond the classroom in a traditional sense. Right. Obviously, I'm doing this online thing now. Wes is subbing after having been a full-time teacher and doing online mm. things, and now managing. Uh, now, I guess I should congratulate Wes too. Now managing Signum Academy. The, oh,
1: congrats.
0: From what I understand is the the sort of young young adult and children's branch of Signum University and trying wow. to, trying to you know do something with that doing something special with that um but that we're all sort of pursuing education in these these um differing ways but um mm. we, you can either comment on that but i I also would like for you if wes if Wes also thinks this is interesting sort of just walk us through what a typical day at your school is. And then maybe just sort of tell us some general facts that you would tell somebody at a coffee shop about your school, just to give us an idea, because I think we all three currently have very differing experiences in the classroom and mm. ha- have had very different experiences in the classroom. And I think it's important for people just to sort of understand the diversity of environments to say the least.
1: Yeah, Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I, I teach it. Um, it's, like, like I said, a super diverse public high school. Um, a lot of students are we've got, um, oh gosh, I, I can't remember the specifics of how many languages, like uh, tens and tens of languages, students from all over the world. Um, I think uh, every year we even have a student, or at least last year we had a student who they didn't even know what language the student spoke. They could not figure out what language the student spoke somewhere in the the like the Pacific Islands area and um, I shouldn't be laughing
0: but I'm laughing I shouldn't be laughing oh no, yeah that's
1: yeah can you imagine trying to teach you know having this kid come in and they don't even know what language the students speak? <laughs> <laughs> we've got kids who you know who go to Vanderbilt every year we've got kids who barely speak English and I've got you know these students in my some not in my Latin classes certainly but in perhaps like my um, world religion class or my philosophy class and I'm responsible for a tiering my, or structuring my learning to uh, benefit not only the Vanderbilt uh, um, aspiring students, but also these students who barely speak English. Um, So it's definitely got a challenge, but as far as um, how that fits into my day, I teach, so on one day I'll teach, we're on an A-B schedule, um, and 90-minute classes, and we've got about 2,000 right under 2,000 students. Uh, we're in an area of Nashville that's kind of in between uh, the super wealthy part of Brentwood and um, a, a, a more of a, a developing part, I guess, uh, where a lot of the immigrant population um, lives. And um, I teach, I was hired to teach Latin uh, and I teach Latin one through three. And um, I also teach a law class that I've started this year which is run through, um, run as a, what they call a youth court. So it's a part of the juvenile court system. And these students go through a training at the beginning of the year. And, um, they are, they basically, uh, if an individual at this high school where I teach gets in trouble, they get picked up by the police or something. Um, the juvenile court offers them if it's a, perhaps a misdemeanor, or a small offense to go through the uh, youth court program. So they'll get tried by the, their peers, which are the students in my class, they'll have student attorneys. We basically run a sentencing hearing, which is basically a trial. We have attorneys come in act as a judge and um, advisors for the prosecution and defense. And they sentence their fellow student to um, a repercussion, which is like um, volunteer hours or whatever. Um, so it's, got, it's part of the restorative practice pursuit in the um, juvenile court. Uh, so that's that's one one of the classes that I teach. And then I also teach um, a world religion class, which our current principal had me write a couple of years ago, and um, be part of the purpose for which was to encourage dialogue amongst our students, um, being so diverse, and then I also teach two segments of uh, philosophy, which is kind of a general history of philosophy, which is also a class that I wrote uh, for our high school for Metro.
2: Do they pay yeah. you extra to write this curriculum? <laughs>
1: No. <laughs> I, I wish. You you'd think they would, right?
2: Um
1: I had to I asked you know I, yeah. it, I asked it
2: optimistically but I didn't really think they would, sorry. Right. No, right, yeah.
1: <laughs> I wish.
0: But again, I wish. But again, why would you do that for free?
1: I, th- so that I could teach it. It wasn't yeah. there and I kept telling the principals I want to teach philosophy and uh they um they said, all right, you write it, you propose it, we'll send it in. If they approve it, then we'll let you teach it. And so they you approved all it. The
0: and yeah,
1: you do all the yeah. work
0: and you can do the work.
1: Yeah, uh, exactly.
0: Which I don't, I don't say cynically. I just think that that's such prima facie evidence of the fact of civic virtue and its importance mm. In, mm. in our schools. Because, I mean, this is very conceptual, the things you're saying, but please, why don't you tell me how many people – are in your class and your classes and and do they have cell phones out and uh, how many and what is what is it like managing your classes and maybe you yeah. can just get a story about that and you said you even talked about breaking up fights oh yeah so I kind of yeah. want to know a little bit about those parts of your day and how prevalent really? those are as
1: well. yeah yeah um, so uh, I start, when I started teaching, I had all classes, about 35 kids a class. Um, it, it would start in the year with maybe 36, 37, but they would whittle that down to 35 somehow. Um, and, um, that's about what it's at this year, except for Latin Latin. It's, it's about half well not half that it's probably twenty-two, twenty-three 23 in Latin one. And part of that is because I, um, <laughs> I've, I've made the Latin more difficult. Um, and that's, that's inevitably shrunk the, the number of students signing up for and passing on into Latin 2. Uh, so right now, I just have one section of Latin 1 and one section of Latin 2 and 3. And 2 and 3 are both in the same class. And that's about 33 students, I think, all, both together. My other classes, though, tend to be about 35 students. Um, maybe one or two less because it's rare to have a full class there. Usually one or stu- two students is missing per class. and for various reasons um but uh it's uh, that's just part of the nature of the game they've our, our school has been on a push to lower the number of students in sort of stem classes but that means that the uh, all of the other classes get uh more students so i i being you know the philosophy and well uh, religions teacher and whatnot get all of those extras uh but i take it and, and as far as cell phones it's a uh, Oh, it's a constant struggle. It's just, it's constant. I mean, the repercussions are you can, you know, you tell the student to put it away. And if they respect you, they will, which usually my students put it away, but then it's back out five minutes later. And the the problem with uh, like fighting it strongly is that you have to write a student up. You try to take it up. Sometimes they'll refuse to give it to you then that becomes a dispute. And it really is more of a hassle than it's worth. It's a lot easier to just let a student be distracted and fail the class than it is to take, you know, 10 or 20 minutes away from every class to I argue with them uh, at the um, detriment to everyone else's education. So it's
0: 10 really or 20 a, minutes? Really 10 I mean, or 20?
1: It, it can be. Uh, we, had a, we had a teacher, it was either last year or the year before, and he quit three days in because he told a uh, an individual to put their phone away and they just started cursing him out and he he just immediately quit um which is you know not any situation that I've ever been in but um, it's it's more of a pick your battles kind of thing and um, i I find it a lot easier to just say hey listen um, i I'll tell you to put it away once or twice but in the end, the students who have their phones out fail. And they, they've learned that by by the end of the first semester.
2: All right, so fighting. This happens ah. in class, or in the <laughs> halls, or after school? I mean, what, what's going on with uh I can understand yeah. the phones thing, but, but like, uh, is the fighting a regular thing, or...? or?
1: um i'll I'll hear about them i've broken up at least one fight every year except for not that not yet this year cross cross your fingers knock wood um crossed last year we had a bit of a uh, from my understanding it was a a a gang related fight um between i believe a um well two different racial groups and um they were all freshmen though so it was more like a like they were trying to be in the gangs anyway it was it was serious enough for our school to go on lockdown but it's interesting because the teachers rushed in. Like we all heard it, and we all just right ra- ran right toward it. We made a, a human chain. <laughs> we didn't talk it out. We just we just naturally jumped together and separated the students. And uh, um, then they went on lockdown for a, a, an hour and a half or so. Um,
0: well, I just want to understand but, that behavior a little bit. So you put yourself yeah. in physical harm's way just to keep them from harming each other and their futures.
1: Yeah, it wasn't very smart. <laughs> we just did yeah, but- it. We didn't.
0: Yeah, but maybe it was, you know? It's yeah. like you were protecting the future by making that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that was I like that weird. way of looking at it, yeah.
0: Well, it's like it was natural to all of you. Like, it wasn't even a mm-hmm. question you said. Like, you just, it's not like you received training to create a human shield. No. It's like it would not be legal to require that of you.
1: Yeah. Oh, not at all. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting how in that moment when you're uh, you kind of go into that well you definitely go into that fight or flight um my my first fight I broke up I've and like I said I've, I've broken up about one or two every year and my first one was I was going to to lunch and uh saw it down the hallway and I kind of looked over and there was another young teacher a little bit bigger and taller than me but uh, about my age and he said all right let's do it and we just ran right into it both grabbed a student and pulled him back and you know when you're grabbing a Uh, you know a teenager 17 or 18 they're pretty tall pretty big and it takes all the energy you got to just hold them back um but it's and it's always for various reasons a lot of times it's uh girls or boys or um can be uh, gang related or turf related or whatever but it's it's always something different but it's always kind of the same
0: two two things about that when you engage, do you always say, hey, hey, hey first, hey three times? And B, <laughs> is it exciting to break up? Yeah,
1: it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like a it's, – it's exciting insofar as, like, um, scary news is exciting. Like, it's, it gets your heart going. It's, it's not something that you look forward to, um, but it's, it's, uh, it definitely get, grabs your attention. Uh, it's also something you, you don't that- forget. With a headed out yeah every every single one I remember very vividly um but it's what, it's uh it's always worrisome
0: it like, what's it like with the students afterwards? Has it ever been with a student that you've had? Do you talk to them afterwards do you ever see them again what's it what is it like interacting with somebody that you've had to mm-hmm. you know, restrain before
1: yeah that's um it's never been with uh, the only i came close to having two students start to fight in one of my classes. Um, and that was something that I just uh, very quickly nipped in the bud. Um, so it never, it didn't go to, you know, it didn't reach the level of fisticuffs, <laughs> but, um, uh, it's, yeah. So I've never had to deal with the, the full aftermath because it's only really been with students who I've not had in my classes, fortunately. Um,
0: that what? may also speak to, you know, you as a teacher, uh, but, West, sorry.
2: Maybe
1: so. I hope so.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned a little earlier about the uh, restorative practices, which yes. I think is, is pretty much nationwide is the sense I get right. that um, yeah. states are all trying to reduce suspensions because that's, right. that's bad for them and yeah. uh, bad for the students being out of school, right? So um, yeah. what what do the restorative practices look like there? Is it kind of a, a script that you're supposed to sort of follow That's as you talk question. to students about the use?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, we've had a big push lately for the, um, uh, the, I can't remember, they call it something like along lines of like a justice circle. And that we actually have an, uh, I don't think he's an administrator, but a, a person who's responsible for meeting with students who have started to have issues like that. And the students can voluntarily just say, hey, listen, can I go talk to this guy? And they meet together in a particular place in the school and try to discuss it. But we've also got this other thing that's, um, <coughs> we, uh, I think it's during third period um, every couple of days and we just have a sort of uh, circle discussion with whatever third period class it is. And that is solely focused on um, developing uh, just communication skills, talking about things that are going on in the students' lives. And that, that occurs in every single class, um, which is, you know, also a pretty positive benefit and it might speak to, um, uh, sort of why I, maybe why I haven't had so many fights in my or any in my classes is because I, I sort of have that, um, uh, that built into my classes in a way um, because I, I run it along the lines of sort of that St. John's approach of let's sit here and discuss ideas. And I encourage the students to bring their personal um, uh, experiences into it if they feel comfortable doing so. So it sort of creates that environment of the, uh, the justice circle if, if that's the appropriate name for it
2: yeah that seems cool and the kids actually buy into that some of them do
1: some of them just want to get on their phones um and some of them you know are sleepy and put their heads down um but i've also found that the kids who do that don't always do that um and every now and then they put up their heads and they listen and they even sometimes talk and and I, <laughs> I just count that as a win.
2: Oh, definitely. I, I think it would have been really hard for me as a student to um, take that sort of thing seriously, I think, because yeah. I, I was never I never wanted to like be demonstrably interested in anything that was done <laughs> it, uh, except possibly like a book that I was reading. You know, like I was very mm. antisocial in that way, and, and so social socializing. Um, that was like required by school, whether it be group projects or um, class discussions or anything like that. I, I just like checked out pretty much, um, you know, just just, just because. Um, but like, so how how can you? I guess how can you um, try to develop um, like a better a better kind of culture at the school? Is it sort of has it changed over the years that you've been there? Have you seen it get better, get worse uh, overall? And, and what kind of kind of steps can you take? And, and I don't know, maybe this is something that, um, you know, individual teachers have, have only so much to do with. And maybe it is more mm-hmm. of a, at the administrative level or, or you know, on the policy level, even if you're, you know, going into law, going into policy, potentially. Uh, yeah. what, what kinds of thoughts do you have about that?
1: So actually, um, we had a PD on Monday, and that's it was something that we kind of was brought up, and something that I've actually have been thinking about the last couple days. And I'll talk about how my Latin class has changed, Um, because I think it sort of provides an answer to that question, Um, or maybe, or you know, at least some insight. When I started teaching it, uh, where I teach, they we used, uh, I think it was the Cambridge book, and it was sort of that. Um, story approach, where it's like, we'll kind of point out grammar as we go. And it's really kind of simple. And it's not the sort of approach that you see in college to the Latin grammar of, hey, listen, here's some rules. Now let's put those into practice. And it's difficult because you you have to memorize things. You have to, you know, master verb paradigms and uh, noun declensions. And I was, um, I learned the latter way. I learned when I got to college, even though I took Latin and High school and it was difficult. It was a great challenge, and so I started after my first couple years. I um, found out a way to get a copy of the Wheelock's textbook and um, started teaching the way I learned,
2: which yeah. was a little
1: more rigorous. And I started noticing that it was working. Um, and last year we finished Wheelock's uh, in Latin too I mean, you know, I mean, at, at a high school level, you know, so they didn't, you know, super master it, but but we, you know, I gave the, even a more difficult test than I had been giving. And for the first time in the seven years I had been teaching, uh, I did not have to curve my final, which was amazing. You know, as a high school teacher, it's like, I feel like I'm always curving things. Um, and it, it was fantastic. And something that I've noticed this year is that these students with this more rigorous approach, um, I still have, you know, I have philosophy Fridays, I'll have these uh, sort of my approach to the justice circles. And um, I've noticed that the, the kids are a little more open. And I think that rigor is, has got to be an incremental part of it. It's, it's got to be, they've got to be challenged, but they've also got to be challenged, not only in um, a sort of a strict academic way, but also in that intellectual curiosity way. They've got to be posed questions like, Hey, what's virtue? Or like I was teaching my world religion class today and we started Genesis and I, I said, well, hey, what is light? And the kids are like, w- wait, what? You know, <laughs> And why is light good? And, and they're like, oh, I've never thought about it. And um, when you can put those two together, I think that's really what most of modern education is missing.
0: And what is it do you think about you that makes you think that that is a good way to spend your day? To like talk about ideas with young people who often have behavioral problems. It's a very interesting way to spend your time. I mean,
1: it's the best way to spend your time. I mean, it's obviously even better than what I plan to switch to with my career. It's by far the, the, I mean, the superior, like, option for how uh, an, an adult can spend their time or anybody can spend their time. I mean, you're literally, like, fully engaging your entire being, you're, challenging yourself and you're challenging somebody else to uh, come closer to the good and You're maturing them in doing so and it's making literally making the world a better place because you're inspiring people to behave better and to pursue their intellect
2: All right, so now that you've done law school you can probably answer this question but um, you asked it a minute ago, what is virtue, or what is what is justice? What is the good? Oof, oh man.
1: Um, well, you know, I, I think justice is that balance. I think it's that, um, it's sort of, it's the, the aspect of interactions where we right wrongs. It's keeping things in check. I think that's the balance. It's the classic scales example. It's making those scales even after they've been unevened. I think that's what justice is, um, at least at a societal level, as a, at a legal level.
2: I like and that. I think, yeah?
1: yeah so does that sense? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so what's good? <laughs> the good? Oh, um, I was talking about this. Well, let's see, what well, which class was it? It was either philosophy or it was the world religion class. And um, I asked the students that it, I, the, it was the religion class. And I said, well, hey, you know, why does God? Uh, in Genesis why does he uh, you know say let there be light and why does he say this is good why does he look at it and say that is good and they, one of the students responded, well it's beneficial and that with that launched us down a, a whole uh, long road of well what does beneficial mean like what is short-term beneficial versus long-term beneficial why do we have pleasures that are um, hedonistic and why do we have pleasures that are um, intellectual and and pleasures that benefit ourselves versus society. And um, I think that's the, that's the real question of the capital G good is the sumum bonum, the um, sort of utilitarian, what's not only short-term fulfilling um, because it's satisfying, um, but it's also a uh, long-term like in a theological, teleological sense, like towards society is that idea of fulfilling our civic purpose. That's what, you know, Rousseau would have said, like in the Emile, where um, he talked about basically fulfilling yourself and um, also serving your society. Well, that's where teaching comes in, is I think that that greatest occupation.
0: Well then, so what is virtue? And corollary, what is civic virtue? And could you mm. also spend a second, great Latinus, that you are telling us a little bit about um cato and what the roman idea of civic virtue might have been through hmm. cato or yeah. pompeius magnus
1: yeah um well uh i i definitely think that we have a different concept of virtue today than we than the romans did um and that comes from the difference in the natures of our society obviously uh for the romans uh for cato you, you had to virtue was very much more of a um a building up your name uh, but i think that was beneficial at the time because if you were building up your name you were fulfilling your role as a roman um and you were you know the as the paterfamilias, you were um uh, supporting your household you were um ideally becoming you say a, a, well first a soldier then a senator you were um but that not only benefited you in getting your name out and building yourself a name, uh, it honored your family and it provided for your family and it provided for the city, the, um, uh, raise publica, you know, where we get our word Republic. Uh, and I think in our modern day, I think it's interesting to look at what virtue is. Um, because it's, it's in a way still similar, but I, 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 guess I'd, I guess I, I really have to sit down and think about, um, You know how it's how it's different um virtue might not necessarily it's i think there's perhaps more of a um potential for sacrifice maybe i mean obviously the roman would sacrifice you know his hand to show the enemy king (laughs) in the fire uh look how tough we romans are to cause the king to surrender that's certainly sacrifice uh but um i don't hmm. that yeah the latter part that what what virtue is it, has it changed? I don't know. That's a question that I'd be in, just as interested to hear what you guys think um, as to try to figure out what I think about it. I'm not entirely sure.
0: Well, I guess I would just, because just to add another question to already a puzzling question, and maybe <laughs> Wes can, can do this for us too, but yeah, also knowing that you're practicing Catholic, is there a difference between civic virtue and say Catholic virtue? Hmm. Um, um, but also, yeah, Wes, what do you think about virtue? What were you thinking about that question? I'm pretty interested.
2: No, yeah, I, well, I asked, I asked to, mostly to um, to try to sort of practice a little bit of this uh, this philosophical approach, and um, I know it's it's a bit different when you have a room full of thirty or twenty or however many students, um, but I think that the the process of sort of this dialogue is a major part of any uh, possible answer to that question. Like, that that seems to me to be uh, not, not just a means to the end, but but something a lot like the end itself. Um, that, that could just be my bias as, again, like somebody who likes to do this sort of thing. Uh, but I, I'd say, you know, to even begin to answer these questions, you have to know a lot about history, too, right? So um, the teaching of history is something that we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, We've touched on a a bit about your your other classes. Um, But, you know, to have that kind of perspective on um, virtue as something which, in some ways, stays the same, right? There is something there that we can identify, and yet, in some ways, shifts over time, right? The the society, the culture, uh, the language, perhaps, all have a part to play in that. And whether there's progress or just you know differences that we can appreciate and sort of better understand ourselves through the lens of those differences. Um, you know either way, you have got to study and you've got to take the time to um, to really look at uh, a lot of different historical sources to 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 get a sense or like a a a way of beginning to ask and answer these kinds of questions. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, I know that the religious side of it, you know, is, is is probably very important to a lot of your students as well, and and maybe that complicates things a bit when you when you're talking about different religions and and striving to be, um, you know, fair and in, in, in addressing ones that you know well personally versus ones that you don't know as well personally, but only through mm-hmm. sort of study and such. But um, but I think you know everybody, especially if they're at a young age. Um, and sort of going through a lot of things. Everybody is concerned about uh, answering these questions. Maybe not like articulating the answers, but but yeah. living them out. You know, and, and I feel like that aspect of of history, of philosophy, of language is is much too often uh, neglected, right? And so, you know, the the lived out aspect of virtue is the much more important answer than the the articulated, formulated, uh, polished, rhetorical uh, delivery of an answer as much as I've tried to give one.
0: I completely (laughs) agree. And Aristotle straight up says that in the ethics where he says it's much more important to practice virtue rather than to talk philosophically, uh, about it. But that, that also makes me wonder, and I hope I don't lose my thought talking about Aristotle there. (laughs) Um, uh, I I probably will. The last bit that you just said, uh, the religious element given even handed, and civic virtue oh no i've lost it Wes. i had this great connection um <laughs> uh, uh, it's all good. what was the all last right. thing you said just one more time it might just pop back into my head i'm
2: i, tell- I don't know i mean i i was trying to kind of open oh, up body. That, yeah yeah i was trying to open up that question a little bit more and and especially with ref- ref- reference to kids understanding of history like that's yeah that's a place that i i find i find that such a difficult subject to teach in an engaging way um okay in, yes in a, in a way that's that gonna hold their attention um yeah and and okay so
0: i know exactly what i was gonna say now um because i've been listening to this terrible book called sapiens which is very popular now with an author whose name um doesn't immediately come to mind but it's very difficult to say but he has some good prehistory and some good facts in there. It's but, a
1: uh Yuval Noah Harari. I've got it on my desk yeah. right here.
0: Yeah, and well, <laughs> the one of the major problems with his book besides the fact that his thesis is terrible um is that he sort of ascribes that sort of um history just happens uh idea to history like oh well history just happened <laughs> this way accidentally as if as if history is not actually the choices and conscious actions of humans. It's like, no, Mm. history does not happen by accident. History is made by people who make choices. In fact, that is how human Mm. life moves. So I think one of the problems with how we teach history is that we don't ascribe virtue to it and excellence. We don't recognize the great choices made by people, Mm. even though obviously history recognizes that, which is uh, not history but rather the choices of those who embody and maintain the history right we as educators mm-hmm. are constantly choosing what we are going to reanimate in our classrooms and bring back up it doesn't just happen nothing just happens with us except for certain natural uh, and stellar facts right and so uh to your point about uh it being more important to embody excellence than to speak loftily about it, Wes, I take that entirely and think that history should be taught in a more uh, psychologically rigorous and um, teleologically informed way that people yeah. are always striving towards a better future. And I mean, something about that book, Sapiens, is it actually literally said, and I just have to blast it here, uh, that there are no measures by which you can judge human well being <laughs> increasing over the course of history, and that's such a joke that I'm barely even going to think about it. You know, you can measure of poverty, disease, war, famine, uh, death, uh, murder, those are all objective ones that the UN hits. So, you know, goodbye, bang, nothing. Um, But I think adding that personal responsibility idea to history that you have a responsibility to make history, and that history will, you know, reflect your actions as better or worse in some small way because you are so interconnected as a human. It's like we've, we've taken this intersectionality and individualism to such an extent that we believe we don't matter because we're not connected in any real and meaningful way to anything, including other people and what mm-hmm. happened before us, rather than understanding that we are the most important thread in a very deep and giant carpet and that mm. you know everything that we do actually matters rather than everything that has happened happened accidentally and will continue to happen anyway I think that's a poisonous way of mm. thinking and yeah. I, I think that's why people hate history because they know that that's not how things actually are it's like a bad mm. story
1: <laughs> yeah I agree with that I'll, I also think that um And this is something that it's, it's especially difficult. I think for teaching history is sort of uh, going through when I, when I do lessons in the history, of course, in Latin, I have to, I have have to bring them in. I enjoy bringing them in when I, when I do. Um, But that almost requires a lot more preparation than the language because the language I know, right. You know, I can talk about, um, you know, all the different cases or the tenses or the infinitive or whatever, but, um, when it comes to preparing, talking about, you know, the death of Caesar, like I've got to make sure that I've got that story lined up because to tell it to kids these days, you've got, it's almost like you're competing. You don't have to compete with the phones. Obviously you can, um, a lot of teachers are able to implement rigorous, um, uh, uh, repercussions for having their phone out. But I, I, the way that I teach it's, it's more of a, it's almost like I'm, I have to use my voice and I have to become, uh, you know, have that theater um, aspect of of teaching where I'm, you know, telling the story in such a way that I'm trying to drag them in. And that almost always really works unless the kid's having an absolutely horrible day. Um, And and that's when I really feel like I'm, uh, I don't know, like on fire, like I'm really in the mode of teaching in those moments. And it's just, that's so much work and it's so hard to do and it takes so much preparation. And I know that or I had to stick with that in the position I'm in, I would definitely burn out <laughs> sooner than later.
0: It sounds like that's a very stoic principle of using minimum necessary force
2: mm.
1: yeah yeah fresh
2: I, I so yeah so i i guess the the crux of what i i want to ask you before we kind of wrap up here then is. Mm-hmm is what do you, what kinds of things do you do to help students um, think about their futures then? A- as far as, it sounds like, you know, you're, you're a role model for them. You, you're teaching them, of course, um, content, but also sort of the way that you act in the world, the way that you run to the problem and, and form a human chain to, to keep the kids apart from fighting, right? So things like that, I think, are, are definitely important lessons as well. And, and so the kids, the kids who look up to you and, you know, they know that you're going to go and become a lawyer and not be back to teach Latin next year or whatever it is. Like, how, how do you kind of break that to them? And and how do you kind of help them uh, stand on their own two feet and, and think about their own futures and the kinds of choices they're going to need to make um, down the line?
1: Yeah. Um, I... I... Always tell my story, to, certainly at least to my Latin classes, uh, my personal story, my struggle with Latin and being an undergrad and being told like my scholarships were under threat of take being taken away because I wasn't doing well enough and my, my GPA was below 3.0, and going to my professor and, and, um, saying hey listen I need some help and they're like hey you might want to give up and switch majors and (laughs) the struggle of going through four years of studying Greek one day and Latin the next you know like literally like 12 hours a day because I do not have an affinity for language and but coming out the other side and passing and getting and you know an honors degree in in these subjects and you know telling the kids hey listen it's it's it can be hard as heck and sometimes it's not even what you want to do. But it's so worth the struggle because it intelligence is not a static thing. It is fluid. And if you put the effort in, you can actually become more intelligent. And I'm not calling myself intelligent, but I, I'm definitely more intelligent than I was when I, you know, went into any of the programs I've gone into. And and I think that's crucial for it was it was crucial for me for helping me find you know, my, my purpose, my calling, how I fit into my society and my culture. And, uh, and the students need to have that too. There's a, uh, one of my favorite philosophers was actually a Jesuit priest in the fifties or he died in the fifties, Jacques Tillard de Chardin. And he wrote a number of different books, but one was um, the Omega point, And he talked about this idea, if I, you know, if I can summarize it correctly, that uh, humanity is working toward this Omega point and for chardin that was and i'm probably butchering his name It's from the french um he uh, uh it, it was this uh, sort of like convergence with god it was technology it was human development it was human maturation spiritually intellectually everything and that was a point where we would reach this like convergence with god like that singularity idea but it's divine as well and i think that's it's that I I mentioned that in my classes, but that's always in the background of my mind when I'm teaching these students that you can find fulfillment that uh, I don't know what the, the Eastern term is, but like um, finding their, their job, but what they're good at and what they find meaning in and what they get paid for and how that all fits into the sort of teleological end goal of how we're moving humanity forward. And I think that's what education is so crucial for. And that's, Really what I'm, I don't know that I do a good job of it, but I try to, to sort of implement that mentality into the spirit of my classes every day.
2: Gosh, thanks so much for your time, David. Um, yeah. Alex, do, you have, do you have any final thoughts or questions or call well, this one good? For- I,
0: I have one little question. One little question. I, I meant to ask it just now without leaving that pause, but I couldn't bring it immediately to mind. You have a hypnotic way of speaking, Oldham. Is, you know, you're very, I would listen to you in a class. Uh, you, should record, you should definitely record publicly. Um, Thanks. But um, you, you said something about knowing what your place is in the world. Mm. And so we sort of started that question but didn't finish it. But what is your place in the world, teacher or lawyer?
1: Gosh. Uh, uh, ideally I'd teach law school. <laughs> um,
0: all right. So rising to the teaching aspect and whatever it is you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. As if teaching oh,
0: well, I, is the highest calling.
1: <laughs> it is without a doubt, without a doubt. It's that for parents, it's for, um, artists, it's for high school, grade school, college teachers. It's, it's the highest calling.
0: Well, uh, what what finer words to end on than those, Mr. Wesley Schatz.
2: <laughs> right on. Hey, thanks again, and um, we'll have you back anytime that you are not uh, breaking up fights or. Uh, <laughs> a live uh, we're glad to have you back on the, the.
1: Awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. I I it's good to hear from you guys. It's good to talk to you. I miss y'all, and it's I it's a. It's a- good to talk to you
0: well it's fantastic on this end too and uh well you know we'll talk about this maybe personally but nashville may not be too far in the future i'm not trying to promise what i can't deliver but who knows
1: dude anytime any time we well we'd, i'll be here and uh be awesome awesome to have you you too Wes.
2: all right i'll take uh, i'll i'll put it into my my very busy schedule here, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) When I can make it, I'll be down.
1: Good,
0: good. All right, see you guys.
2: All right, night. See y'all later.